Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. Today is Friday, June 5th, 2020. And on today's report, I will be talking about China from the perspective of what all the recent news is about. As you may guess, I have my own views on the subject, which I will endeavor to share with you today. My intention was to talk about issue number one in this country, which, of course, is the killing of George Floyd and its aftermath. But I have gained little, if any, traction with my own views on the subject, so I proceed to issue number two, which is China. Perhaps I can share my views on Mr. Floyd and its aftermath of his death at some other point. What is going on today, right now, between China and the United States amounts to the result of an unwritten but spoken agreement that was started in what seems like ancient history now. Before I get to that, though, let me pause for a moment and say that when we say China did this or China did that, we're making a serious mistake. The rest of the world, especially places like China and the Middle East, believe that the United States is a self-governing country. We elect our leaders, they presume. So when our leaders do something, they conclude that America did it. In their minds, we are all responsible for the acts of our government because we can vote. So they say America did it. We Americans often do the same thing with China. Let me give you this example. In a fundraising letter I received from a Republican congressman in Michigan who is also a retired Army general, quote, it is irrefutable that China is responsible for the unchecked spread of the coronavirus. They need to be held responsible for the havoc they have caused to our nation, end quote. I don't dispute the veracity of what the general said, but when he says China is responsible, I disagree. China consists of about 1.5 billion people. Probably no more than 500 of them had anything to do with the spread of the coronavirus. Most of the 500, that number's just a guess, are members of the National People's Congress or the ruling body of the Chinese Communist Party. It would be more accurate and less inflammatory to say the Chinese Communist Party is responsible for the unchecked spread of the coronavirus. We would then have a better and clearer picture of where to put the blame. The Chinese government has a big advantage in these things because it is completely despotic. There are no meaningful elections. The Communist Party selects its own leaders and its own membership. Any leader anywhere in China, from village mayor to party chief, is a member of the Communist Party. One is either a member or he does not survive very long. During World War II, China and the United States fought together as allies against the invading Japanese. The Chinese people suffered horribly under Japanese domination, a great deal of it because their help for American military forces. Since the end of that war, the United States has been in at least a cold war with the stated aims of global communism. Keep in mind that neither the Chinese people or the Chinese government have ever tried an invasion of the United States, but Washington has had its military inside China killing Chinese people beginning in 1856. I recommend three movies that deal with this subject, all involve characters acting on behalf of Washington though through its military and all ending up wondering, why am I here? What am I doing? 
The three movies are The Sand Pebbles with Steve McQueen, 55 Days at Peking with Charlton Heston, and The Bridges at Tokori with William Holden. The growing conflict with the Chinese government has a long history, can be couched in terms of being involved everywhere in the world under the belief that you have a right to be so involved from the communist side the revolutionaries under Mao spent the years 1966 to 1976 trying to destroy capitalism, sweep it from China. But it was capitalism that made the Chinese economic miracle possible, I suppose. If you can't beat them, join them. Right now, the fiscal conflict centers around control of the waters off the Chinese coast of Yellow Sea between northern China and the west coast of the Korean Peninsula running southward to the East China Sea and continuing on further south to the South China Sea west of Taiwan and south of Hong Kong. You may have wondered why it's called the China Sea. Well, I suppose the Chinese are pretty sure they have the answer. It's probably similar to the question the Iranians have for why that gulf that contains the U.S. Fifth Fleet is called the Persian Gulf. The China Seas contain hundreds of small islands that for the most part are uninhabited. The Chinese government has begun building military installations on several of those islands, including airstrips for their most advanced fighter aircraft. Several nations in the area claim those islands as their own. They at least have some legal, under international law, claim to them for navigation and fishing rights. Those nations include the Philippines, Taiwan, South Korea, Vietnam, and Malaysia, among others. Notice that the United States is missing from that list. The claim of the United States is not about territory, but it's about the obligation as the world's premier naval power to keep the sea lanes open for trade and for international commerce. The U.S. also has alliances with the other nations mentioned periodically. The U.S. Navy sends a fast destroyer through the channel just to let them know that the U.S. will not accept Chinese ownership of that territory. A U.S. carrier battle group always waits, patrolling off the east of the islands in deep water. These events make confrontation and conflict to some degree inevitable. The rest of the story is about trade. For that, we must return to my second paragraph where I left the story with the rise of communism in China and after the U.S.-Chinese war in Korea. The Chinese government was very interested in taking the country and its billion-plus people into the modern world and into the 20th century. When Richard Nixon was elected president, he was given Henry Kissinger as his Secretary of State. Kissinger was, still is, perhaps the world's leading globalist, much to the chagrin of his conservative hardline supporters. Off went Nixon and Kissinger to China, to open that country up to trade with the West. Now I ask you, what did China have in the 1970s that was desirable to the West? Only one thing, that was very cheap labor, a cheap labor force of over a billion people. The communists in China have always been a little nervous about the prospect of a hundred million hungry, unemployed Chinese workers descending on the capital with their pitchforks and axes. Kissinger and Nixon were able to offer them a way to prevent that long-term they accepted the offer. To a large extent, that deal still exists today. It has prevented conflict for almost 50 years. 
It is also at least partially responsible for the economic demise of the United States. The background of all this was that it began during the golden age of the American middle class worker. It was also the demise of that golden age. Nixon, along with Kissinger, Kissinger in his ear, already ended the gold standard and set the U.S. dollar free from any restraint which gave the administration the opportunity to spend without limit. U.S. labor unions just reached its peak in those years. I was one of those labor workers. When I came home from the Marine Corps, I went to Michigan to work in a General Motors factory where union scale wages were many times what I could make in my home state of Tennessee. That factory where I worked at 36th Street in Grand Rapids, Michigan, was eventually shipped in its entirety to China, where cars continued to be made but with Chinese labor. Those cars were then shipped back to the U.S. They weren't any cheaper, just more profitable for the companies. The labor rate in China was less than $1 per hour as opposed to about $10 in a union plant. The United States has never recovered from this unholy relationship with the Chinese communists. Oh, I'm very familiar with the argument that many new modern high-tech jobs were created to replace the assembly line, but those are mostly white-collar high-tech jobs, not jobs for blue-collar assembly line workers. The result was that the mainstream economy was and has been deprived of real investment. Good jobs, genuine wealth-building capitalism by order of the federal government. That was and is the real effect of our deal with the Chinese communists. It was not just Nixon and Kissinger, although they started it. Every president since has continued the process, except possibly Donald Trump. That is because the process has now run its course. A country finds it difficult to prosper when it intentionally guts its manufacturing core just to benefit a few at the very top and at the same time break the backs of labor unions which strive for better lives for ordinary people. The people I worked with at Fisher Body Number 2 in Grand Rapids were in many ways the same people I saw in my Marine Rifle Platoon. They had good jobs for themselves. They could feed their families, but greed plus the opportunity for globalism to dominate the world robbed them of it. It all seems to be ending now, however, as suspicion grows around the world about the Chinese Communist government and its goals of economic world dominance. These countries, led by the United States, not only opened their markets, but shipped their factories to China, thus enriching the Communist Party and making possible the Chinese miracle for their workers. To quote Chinese expert John Derbyshire, quote, the developed countries of North America, Western Europe, and Australasia are waking up to the fact that we have sold the Chinese Communist Party a whole lot of rope with a gift card attached saying, please hang us, end quote. It appears now that these once industrialized nations are starting to grow tired of the relationship. They're looking for ways out of it, the coronavirus, and its revelation that the world was dependent on a communist government for all manufactured goods, including medicine necessary for the lives of their own citizens seems to have gotten some attention. The days of Western governments helping Chinese communists consolidate power and spread economic dominance around the world at their own expense may be over. The illusions about the Chinese communists really are 
These illusions have been swept away by the coronavirus. The final item of dispute is Hong Kong, but although that is a dispute arising out of what I've covered on this report, it's another discussion for another day. Briefly, though, the people of Hong Kong were promised 23 years ago when the British handed them over to the Chinese communists that they would continue to enjoy British levels of social and economic freedom. The way the communists worded it was two systems, one country. Well, it turns out that the promise was just another empty communist lie. Now the people of Hong Kong clearly see that. They're in the streets demanding freedom, or at least they were demanding it before the virus hit the, the island. Finally, folks, the coronavirus and now the situation with Hong Kong have served to reveal the Chinese communists for what they are, master liars. That doesn't have to mean a bipolar world of constant conflict, but it should mean we at least return to manufacturing our own products and our own medicine. I hope you've enjoyed this brief Chinese history moment, folks. At least that's the way I see it. Until next time, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.